You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. This is your host, Tim Blank, and I'm so glad you're joining us today. Uh, my special guest today is award-winning writer, editor, and author, Kim Gavin. And Kim's going to be talking to us about her recently released book, Little Boy Blue. So we're excited about that, learn about Little Boy Blue, the book, learn more about Blue himself, and then all the other wonderful things going on. So everybody, just hang tight. We're going to get right back with Kim right after these messages. You're listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Pet Life Radio has tail-wagging, fur-flying, fabulous deals for our listeners from Petco. Get $6 off your order of $60 or more and up to 40% off the entire Petco site. That's right. But that's not all. Because you're a Pet Life Radio listener, you'll also get free shipping on your order of $49 or more. $6 off, up to 40% off and free shipping from Pet Life Radio and Petco. To get these awesome deals, go to PetcoDeals.com. That's PetcoDeals.com. Petco, where the pets go. I'm not much of a reader, but I do wish I were more well-read. There are so many great books coming out. I wish I could find a way to keep up. Audible.com makes it easy to stay well-informed and catch up on your reading simply by listening. Audiobooks from Audible turn downtime into uptime. You'll be more productive and become well-read. Now I'm able to catch up on all the great books I've been wanting to read. With Audible, I feel smarter. Pet Life Radio listeners, try Audible.com now and get your first 30 days of Audible Listener Gold Membership plan free. And get a free audiobook. Choose from over 100,000 titles. To get this great deal, go to audibledeals.com. That's audibledeals.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Joining me now is Kim Cavan, talking about her latest book, Little Boy Blue. Kim, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me on. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. Congratulations on the the book. Tell us a little bit about uh, the book, Little Boy Blue. Little Boy Blue is the story of a dog who I adopted through PetFinder.com in 2010. I live in New Jersey, and it turns out that Blue had come all the way to me from rural North Carolina, about 500 miles away. So the book talks about how he got here and what's going on with rescue all across our country today with these transports that are trying to bring dogs from the very high kill rate shelters in a lot of parts of the south all the way up to the north where they can find them a lot more homes. We'll touch upon that because I think I've talked about this before, but you know, I'm, I'm here in Georgia. I'm in Atlanta, and we're doing a much better job here in Georgia of trying to place the animals and getting them in the right and perfect homes. But it still amazes me to this day how it seems like uh, certain parts of the country, especially the southern states, are having a little bit more challenge with the animals, getting them adopted, getting uh, the numbers down compared to the northeast states. Uh, what have you found in your research to, uh, to support that, or is it just something that, that I'm imagining? No, you're definitely not imagining. 
acknowledging it, the shelter where Blue was found uh, outside, about an hour outside of the Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina, unless the rescue groups intervene, year after year after year, that shelter has a kill rate of just around 95%, which is extraordinarily high. You're practically a slaughterhouse at that point. If the rescues get in, the kill rate goes down a bit, but it very rarely drops beneath maybe about 70% in general. So you're still killing seven out of 10 dogs that are coming in. We just don't really have that going on up here in the Northeast. And what every single person I interviewed told me, including the director of the shelter where Blue was found, is that the problem is a failure to spay neuter. In a lot of these agricultural rural areas, particularly in the South, folks just do not spay and neuter their dogs. It's not a wild dog problem with dogs running around in the streets. The problem is people who very knowingly bring in box after box after box of newborn litters of puppies, and they end up getting killed. Wow. And it's amazing. So it's more of an education thing uh, that's going on, or lack of education, you feel? I do. I mean, there are definitely, you know, there's economic challenges and things like that, but there's an awful lot of programs out there to spay and neuter. You can get it done for 20 bucks in the county where Blue was found if you want to. In places like New York City, some of the poorer areas there, the ASPCA has programs where you can get it done for free. In most cases, there are grants and programs available to help you spay and neuter your dog if you choose to do it. And we just need more people to do it. And that will help go a very, very long way towards eliminating this problem. Absolutely. Further the education, get people involved is the way to go. So let me ask you then about the book. How did you come about writing the book? I'm assuming it was, uh, or did Blue just whisper it in your ear saying you got to get this message out? (laughs) (laughs) I'm actually a travel writer by trade. And I've written a, a number of travel books in the past. And when I adopted Blue, I obviously took him to my vet. It's the first thing you do when you get mm-hmm. a new dog. And I, and I took him down there, and we started to find some very odd little scabs all over his head and down his neck and part of his torso. And my vet and I started looking through what paperwork we had from the rescue. And there was a, a very strange notation that indicated he might have had ringworm, mm-hmm. but it didn't look right. It didn't look like anything a veterinarian would have written down. So I got on the phone and started making some calls, just trying to figure out, you know, about my dog, you know, what what was going on with my dog's health. And the woman who answered the phone told me that, yeah, he never actually got diagnosed, but she decided to treat him herself. She did it with bleach. That raised my antenna. And when I got a bit, I guess, nervous on the telephone hearing that, she said, well, what did you want me to do, leave him there to die in the gas chamber? And my head just started spinning. I, you know, I had never heard of anything like any of those things. And as I looked more and more into Blue's background, I started to realize this dog had a very big story to tell all of us about rescue in America. I called my literary agent who happens to sit at her desk with a rescued pit bull mix, and uh, we talked about it, and here we are. Wow. I love those stories because the message is great. Blue's done a great job helping you get that message out, and, and that, that's the important thing, as we'd mentioned. But, uh, yeah, we just, should tell people he does live all the way to the end of the book. There seems to be a thing in, in America where everyone thinks the dog dies at the end of all these books. I guess Marley and me. <laughs> Marley and me, old, old Yeller, all those things. To put on, on <laughs> exactly. Your no, Blue is very happy and healthy. He's on tour with me, and he loves meeting folks and getting treats from people at the bookstores and the libraries and, and everywhere that we go. Yeah, great life. And recently, you and Blue were on uh, CNN. We were. That was a very exciting day for Blue. He had uh, never been in a skyscraper. He had to ride up the big elevator. He was looking out the window over Columbus Circle in Manhattan, trying to figure out what the heck was going on that we were so high up in the sky. And uh, then there was supposed to be a sofa for us to sit on. It turned out to be a pair of director's chairs, and he had to sit up in one of those tall director's chairs while the interview went on. And uh, I have to say he did 
a really, really, really good job given all of those challenges. Yeah, exactly. And for the listeners here, describe Blue, his size and his demeanor, and, and I think they'll get the visual that necessarily a director's chair is not his ideal spot. <laughs> no, Blue is about 40 pounds. He's a, our best guess is a hound mix of some sort. My official papers at the vet say Heinz 57. We have no idea. <laughs> He's a blend of many, many wonderful things. But uh, for him, to, I had to lift him up and put him into this chair, and then he had to sit there under the bright lights for about 10 minutes, and he couldn't hear anything because the people were talking into my ear. All he knew was that this giant machine, the camera, kept, kept coming closer and farther away from us. And if you watch the clip online, you'll see him about to jump once or twice. I think I did a pretty good job of uh, keeping him on that chair while I was trying to answer the news anchor's questions. Exactly. Yeah. Big kudos to both you and Blue. What an experience. And I'm it sure, was an uh, adventure. Yeah. <laughs> So these things are things you hadn't expected when Blue came to your life, and I'm sure, I don't know if Blue had this in his master plan or not, but boy, he's uh, he's done a lot just in the short time he's been with you, and he's going to be doing a lot more. We sure hope so. The uh, publisher, Barron's, is donating a portion of proceeds from every book sold to the Pet Finder Foundation, and we're working real hard with every rescue that we can that asks us to have adoptable dogs at our book signings and things like that, so... You know, the more people want to come out and meet Blue, the more good we're going to do to save a lot more dogs like him. And it, it makes me really proud. I'm real excited about it. Yeah, absolutely. It's a big kudos to Barron's and uh, the Pet Finder, PetFinder.com. Great organization to uh, spread the uh, education to people and also help you find the right and perfect animal for your life. It's a dogs and cats and a plethora of other things, actually. So they do a great job. We're going to get ready to go to a commercial break, but we'll have more uh, to talk about when we get back. You're listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Introducing the new Brett Michaels Pets Rock Collection exclusively at PetSmart. I created it for the pets that rock your world. Shop the Brett Michaels Pets Rock Collection and celebrate PetSmart's 25th anniversary with up to 25% off thousands of items on the PetSmart site. Plus, free shipping on orders of $49 or more. Go to PetSmartDeal.com. That's PetSmartDeal.com. P-E-T-S-M-A-R-T-D-E-A-L.com. Dyson. The new Dyson Animal Backs are powerful bagless upright backings for homes with pets. Air muscle and radio root cyclone technology generates the strongest suction power to powerfully remove dust, dirt, and pet hair from the home or car. To order your Dyson Animal Back, go to DysonDeals.com. DysonDeals.com to order your Dyson Animal Back today. Dyson. Music to your ears. Hi, I'm Lisa Smith-Putnam, the host of the new and exciting show, Your Pets, My Dogs, here on Pet Life Radio. Your Pets, My Dogs will feature celebrity interviews, we'll talk to everyday pet owners, and more. Listen, I am here to entertain you each and every week, right here on Pet Life Radio. Again, that's Your Pets, My Dogs. I'm your host, Lisa Smith-Putnam. Your Pets, My Dogs. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. This is your host, Tim Link. And I'm here with uh, author Kim Cavan talking about her book, uh, Little Boy Blue. 
Now, Kim, uh, tell us, when writing the book and after completing it and looking back on everything, what would you say would be the, the thing you learned most about writing the book? Was there any surprises? I mean, you mean the content of the book or the writing process? Yeah, just the, we'll talk about the writing process here in a moment, how it compares to some of your other writing uh, that you do. But uh, yeah, the content, I always like to, as an author, like to look back and I always find there's some aha moments, some things that when I was writing it, I hadn't expected uh, to uh, be as Absolutely. thoughtful yeah, or the, challenging the, or what it may be. The thing that to this day stuns me is I sent out a bunch of Freedom of Information Act requests. What I tried to do was figure out how many of these shelters, like the one where Blue was found, are actually operating in the United States today. I tried to figure out, you know, was this shelter an aberration or are there a lot of them? And I was able to document more than 40 taxpayer-funded animal shelters where Americans are spending about $15 million tax dollars a year to support these gas chamber operations, most of them with very, very high kill rate percentages. And that number to me, in the context of what's going on with our election and people talking about the budget and having to cut everything, that 15 million tax dollars a year are going to this, it's enraging. It should make everyone livid. And I'm quite sure that there's more money out there. You know, it's, it's hard to get people to admit that they're doing this with tax money. I had to go through some lawyers tried to block me on this stuff and trying to get this information. And I just think if people understood that it's their money paying for it, far, far more people would stand up and demand that it stops. Yeah. And I don't quite recall that in the debate uh, we had with our candidates the other night. I don't remember that <laughs> they, topic they did coming not out. come up. <laughs> it's just now starting to get on the public radar and... You know, we're hoping to keep it there because I, I think that once people know they're paying for this stuff, like I said, they get angry. This isn't about those commercials that are sad and you want to help the dogs and Sarah McLaughlin singing. You know, this is about your money paying to basically kill healthy, adoptable puppies. Most people get upset when they hear that, and rightfully so. Yeah, absolutely. So we just need to raise the awareness. And I agree with you wholeheartedly. I mean, I'm former president of a local no-kill shelter here in the Atlanta area, and uh, I know things have gotten a lot better in the cooperation between the shelters and the counties. Uh, have gotten uh, much better in most places, not only here in Georgia, but elsewhere. But there's so much more to be done and, and so much more cooperation that could be had. Cooperation is the reason that Blue is with me, that The rescue group that pulled him out in North Carolina cooperated with a group up just over the border from me in Pennsylvania. I live in New Jersey, and if they had not worked together, he wouldn't be here. He he wouldn't have even gotten out of that shelter. There would have been no place to put him. So that cooperation, as you say, it's fantastic, and we talk about it quite a lot in the book. The book, it champions all these heroes who are doing this all around the country, and we try to show... the the things that are working so that it's not just a sad story. It's a story about how we need change and about how people are making change and and the ones who are doing it the best. Now, after our uh, listeners uh, pick up a copy of the book and and read the book, uh, Little Boy Blue, what would be the uh, one thing you'd like them to uh, walk away with? Is there one message or one thought that you'd want them to to take away? I'm going to say two, two things that I think we need to do. To me, this is a very basic issue. Number one, we need to be adopting more dogs instead of buying from pet stores and breeders. If we simply shifted in our nation, right now, one in four people who gets a dog chooses to adopt. If we can just shift that to two in four, it doesn't even have to be three or four out of four. If we can just get a few more people to adopt, then there will be enough homes for every dog in these shelters. Then it's just a matter of transporting them around and the network already exists. The other thing I would say is, 
On top of adoption, we really need to get people to spay and neuter their dogs because that is what ultimately will solve the problem. You you have to make sure that this inflow of puppies stops coming into these shelters. No shelter can handle 100 puppies being brought in when they only have 30 cages. What are they going to do with them? It, it's Spay-neuter is the ultimate answer. So adopt, spay-neuter, if we do those two things, all of this goes away. Great, great messages, I, I think, throughout, and, and uh, I would agree with you wholeheartedly. And, you know, the, and there is a big difference between responsible breeding, doing things from a, a professional responsible standpoint, than, than the things we see with the backyard breeders and the, uh, the things we see with the pet stores and mass breeding facilities. We're in no danger of running out of dog breeders anytime soon in the United States of America. What, what we would like to see, as you say, is the puppy mills and things like that going away. And the way that you make them go away is reducing demand. If you simply Adopt instead of go to a pet store, you're no longer financially supporting most of these puppy mills, and they, and they will vanish. We don't have to pass laws. We don't have to yell and fight. Demand will make them go away. <laughs> if, if they have no customers, they'll just stop what the business that they're in. That's right. It's a matter of economics, so that makes sense. Now, you mentioned a little bit earlier that um, you do a lot of uh, other writing for magazines and publications. You're a travel writer. In putting together this book, this memoir, what do you see the, the nuances? How's the process different? What are some of the commonalities or, or even some of the challenges in, in putting together this book compared to uh, putting together a, a story or a journal or investigative piece? Well, I think that one of the things that helped me quite a bit is I've been to something like 40 or 50 different countries and islands all around the world to write for the magazines. Tough life, by the way. Not bad, right? (laughs) It's pretty pretty cool stuff. But having done that, you know, I've literally been in huts in the middle of Fiji where there's no electricity. I've stood in ruins in Turkey where the people are carrying water back and forth to get you know, to feed their families and things like that. I've, I've been to a lot of really interesting parts of the world, and I think it allowed me to go into these communities that are very, very different from where I live and tell readers what I was seeing without being judgmental. It's real, real easy to look at statistics on a piece of paper and say, you know, these people are a bunch of jerks. They're killing too many dogs. You know, anybody could have gone and, and written a book like that. I really worked hard to not do that. I tried to give everybody the benefit of the doubt, give everybody a fair shake and try to portray these places as they really are. So when you read Little Boy Blue, you really do get a sense of what's happening in these communities and it does involve the recession and it does involve our shift in what crops we grow and things like that and and how it affects their views towards animals and agriculture. And and hopefully people will be able to to get a real little slice of America out of this book and and see parts of the country in their mind that they maybe will never see in person. Exactly. And and big kudos to you. I think that does, uh, you know, I sarcastically said tough life, but it sounds like some of the travel situations you were in, though, they were uh, fascinating, I'm sure, and and very uh, unique opportunities that they weren't always the easiest situation. You weren't in the four seasons all the time. No. <laughs> I mean, if anyone looks me up online, they're going to see that for many, many years, I've been affiliated with Yachting Magazine. So it's not like I'm riding around in, you know, dumps or anything like that. Some of these boats are pretty gorgeous, but we do go to a lot of places where maybe there is no civilization whatsoever. You know, you go to the Galapagos Islands, a lot of those islands, there isn't even a single hotel. It's just you and the sea lions walking around there. So you learn real fast that when you go to a new place, you have to accept it for what it is and just try to describe it instead of judging it. And I think that came in real handy with Little Boy Blue because I think it would have been very easy to go judge these people as evil, and I, and I really didn't want to do that. And a lot of the compliments that I get about the book is 
how very gray it is. It's not black and white. The people you think are going to be the bad guys, not so much. And the people you think are going to be the good guys, there's some surprises there too. So yeah, it helps having had the experiences that I've had to be able to report things in that way. Absolutely. Yeah. Until you walk a mile in their shoes. Isn't that the case? You try, you know, yeah. with the time yeah. they give you to write a book these days, sometimes it's a quarter of a mile, but try your hardest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's more like uh, you wait around for a year for them to decide when they do decide it, you got about a month to write it. So I, <laughs> <laughs> I think that I had, I think it was five, maybe six months to report and write the first draft of Little Boy Blue. And then of course we had editing and, and after that, but that's not a very long amount of time for a book that takes place in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Massachusetts, Carolinas. Um, you know, Absolutely. It's a pretty short window. Yeah, and I think it's a key because you know, I, I have, um, I guess I'll throw them under the bus here. I have talked to other well-known authors that produce some fabulous books. And when we start to peel back that onion, I ask them, did you visit these people or whatever? And quite often it's, no, I talked to them on the phone. It's like, well. I, I know. And, you know, for a book like this, I pushed real hard to not let that happen. It just. Again, like I said, anybody could have gotten those statistics from those shelters and just said, well, these people are Darth Vader, you know, and good guys versus the bad guys. Here we go. But to me, that isn't true. That's just not reality. And the only way that you can really get behind numbers is to go shake somebody's hand and spend some time with them and try to honestly listen to things from their perspective. And so that's what I tried to do. Big kudos for putting in the extra effort. I think it definitely shows in the book. Where can people find out more about you and uh, Little Boy Blue and uh, all the wonderful things going on with Blue? Well, we have two places that folks seem to like the best. The first is our website where you can find reviews of the book. The first two chapters are there for free if you want to just download them and check them out and see if you want to keep reading. There's links to where you can buy the book, all of that. And that website is www.little-boy-blue, and it's a .info address instead of .com. The other place that folks really seem to like following us is on Facebook. The page is written in Blue's voice, and every day we talk about what he's up to and what he's doing, and even if it's just fun stuff like he got caught digging a hole in the backyard, (laughs) there's uh, everyone can see that he's happy and healthy and where we're going to be coming up soon. So that's facebook.com slash littleboyblue.dog. Very good. Little Boy Blue Dog. So make sure you uh, friend Blue to find out what's going on, uh, Facebook, and uh, definitely take a look at the website and keep up what's going on and pick up a copy of the book. You will not be disappointed. It's uh, Little Boy Blue. Kim, thanks once again for coming on the show. We appreciate it. Congratulations on the successful book, and we'll look forward to seeing more uh, from you and Blue in the future. We appreciate it. We hope to be down in Georgia sometime. Maybe we can come meet you in person soon, too. Absolutely. Look forward to it. All right. Well, we're wrapping up the show for today. I want to thank everybody for listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. I'd like to thank all of our sponsors and producers for making this show possible. I really do appreciate it. To find out more about me, Tim Link, and the other guests I've interviewed on the Animal Rights Show, and check out my blog and find out the latest information, you can do that by going to PetLifeRadio.com and click on the Animal Rights icon and learn and download and listen to all the wonderful interviews. Um, while you're there, make sure you check out all the other wonderful hosts and shows that we have on Pet Life Radio. That's PetLifeRadio.com. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for the show or people you want to see the most, drop me a line. You can email me at tim at petliferadio.com. That's tim at petliferadio.com. And I will be glad to answer your questions, entertain your comments, and try to bring on the authors and writers that you want to hear from the most. So until next time, write a great story about the animals in your life. Share it in a blog, article, or in a book. And who knows? You may be the next guest on Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Thanks for joining us. Let's Talk Pets. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.